Good morning. That was really bad. Let's try that again. Good morning. We are glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 8, so we're going to be. And as you're turning there, um, we are continuing our series, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And the reason I'm excited about this series is because we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we saw the powerful words of Jesus. Now we're going to see the powerful actions of Jesus. He does some amazing things. In fact, last week we were introduced to three different people. We were introduced to a leper, introduced to a Roman centurion who had a servant who was sick and ill and paralyzed, and then we ran into mother, I mean Peter's mother-in-law who was ill as well. And the interesting thing about those stories as you go back is that if you think about it, you've got a leper, a Roman centurion, and a very ill mother-in-law of Peter. And in that culture and in that setting, all three of those people would be viewed as outcast or less significant as other people. Yet they all come to Jesus and they ask for healing. Now, not, not the mother-in-law because she couldn't, so Peter took him there. But the other two people, they come to Jesus and they say, we need you to do something on our behalf. And the thing I love about the stories last week is these people that come to Jesus have an extraordinary faith, don't they? You remember the leper when he came to Jesus? The Bible says he knelt down and he said, if you will, you can heal me. Now, he wasn't saying, Jesus, I'm begging you to heal me. He's just saying, listen, I recognize that you have the authority to heal me if you choose to do so. And then the Roman centurion, he wasn't even coming for himself. He was coming for a servant that he had. And he came, and this Roman centurion, he came, and he, and he says to Jesus, says, listen, I don't even need you to come to my house if you'll just speak the words. I know my servant will be healed. And here's the thing that fascinates me about these two people is they had an extraordinary faith. They, were, they had an absolute conviction that Jesus was able. Amen? See, that is what faith is. Now, please hear me. That's a great working definition of faith. Faith is the absolute conviction that our God is able, right? And we trust him because of that. And so what does Jesus do in all three of these stories? Does he walk away and go, no, that faith wasn't good enough? No, no, no. What's he do? He heals. He touches the leper. He speaks the word, and the girl that's paralyzed is healed. He touches Peter's mother-in-law, removes the fever, and then later it says that he actually spoke words, and demons were cast out, and other people here. Jesus healed people. And see, the point was not the quantity of their faith or the quality of their faith, but it was the object of their faith. They knew that Jesus was able, and they put their faith in him. And Jesus heals them. Now let me tell you why that was so important for us. Is because when you look at the story, you've got a leper, you've got this Roman centurion, and you've got this woman. All three in Jewish culture would have been viewed as outcasts of the day. But for Jesus, we learn nobody is an outcast. Amen? Come on. Nobody is an outcast. And there's nothing, you know, if, you, if you're that person, and maybe you don't have an attracted leprosy, but you come in today, and you feel like you're damaged goods, and you feel like there's nothing about you that's redeemable, you can look to the story and be reminded, there's no one that is unredeemable in the eyes of God. Nobody. Or you think about that, that, that Roman centurion that came about his servant, and you think, maybe I'm beyond the reach of what God can do. I've gone so far and so long away from him, I'm beyond his reach. Listen, we are reminded that we are never beyond the reach of our Heavenly Father. And we're also reminded of this with Peter's mother-in-law. There's no one who's insignificant in the eyes of God. So I don't know what you come in today feeling or what you're thinking, but here's one thing I want you to know, and I know it's going to sound pastoral, and I know it's going to sound cliche, but I'm going to say this. It is absolutely 100% true. You are loved by God. 
I don't care where you've been and what you've done. You're not beyond his reach. You're not damaged goods, and you're not irredeemable, and you're not insignificant in his eyes. That's a truth that we hope we learned last week. Now, you can imagine, if you're the crowd, now, just try to be the crowd for a minute. This crowd of people have sat on a hillside and listened to Jesus preach. I, wouldn't you love to know how long he preached? I mean, it takes us three chapters to go through it. But I, I would say, I, I would love to think that he preached for days. I would, I would just love to think that. And some of you, that would scare you because you're like, I, I can't sit through 30 minutes, much less days worth. But he preached to these crowds. And when he gets done, the Bible says they were astonished and they began to follow him. And so then, if you're the crowd person, you're following Jesus. And as Jesus comes off the mountain, he begins to walk. He begins to heal the leper. He speaks and the Roman centurion servants healed. And then he goes and he touches Peter's mother-in-law. Her fever is gone. I mean, you're like blown away with what he's done. Now, can you imagine if you're the crowd, would you not be at best a bandwagoner at that point? I mean, when you've heard his words and you've seen what he's done, how many of us would be like, I'm on that guy's team. I want to go where he goes. I want to be with that guy. Wouldn't we all kind of be in that same boat? Only two of us? I mean, how many of you would be like that? I mean, I, I'm there. I'm with you, bro. And then when he raised from the dead, I'm really in. I mean, it's like, I'm on that guy's team. So you can imagine this crowd who's seen these powerful words and seen these powerful actions, and they're like, he's not only speaks with authority, he's a miracle worker. I'm with him. Now listen to me. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that there were probably going to be some people that were blown away with what he said and what he did. And so he pauses after three miracles and he reminds these people of what it really means to follow him. Because it isn't easy to get caught up in the hype. Wouldn't it be easy to go, he touched a leper. I mean, nobody touches lepers. And then he spoke a word and a girl like miles away was healed. And then this, this woman had a fever, and he touched her, and she got up, and she started cooking. I mean, that's, I mean, it's awesome. Blown away. People were on his bandwagon. And, you, and so Jesus pauses and reminds him what it means to really follow him. Now, the interesting thing about Matthew, because I'm kind of geeked out this way. If you look at Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, here's what you find out. Jesus does three miracles, and then he pauses and talks about what it means to follow him. Then he does three more miracles, and then he pauses, and he talks about what it means to follow him. Then he does three more miracles, and then he pauses, and he talks about what it means to follow him. Now, why would Jesus do that systematically? Here's why I believe Jesus did it. Because he wanted to remind those that were around him that he wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for followers. Are you with me on that? He's not looking for people that are just crazy fans, like like Green Bay Packer fans that go in the sub-zero weather and paint half their body and wear a cheese head. And it's like, I'm, I mean, he doesn't want those. He wants legit followers. Now, here's why I'm making such a big deal of this. Because today, as we look at the passage, we're going to have to discover these guys are going to be forced with, are they really a fan of Jesus? Or do they really want to be a follower of Jesus? Because there's a difference, isn't there? More importantly, we're going to be faced with the same question. To look at our lives and go, okay, am I really a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? So if your Bible is Matthew chapter 8, so we're going to be, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word, verses 18 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible as you leave today, we'd love to give you one because we want you to have God's word in your life. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 says this, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side and a scribe came up to him saying, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
And then another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my dead father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. May God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat. Now, in this passage, we come across two characters. And I want us to kind of unpack this a little bit. There's two characters. The first one he comes across is a scribe. Now, let me tell you what a scribe, who they were, and what the kind of clout that they had. A scribe was an extremely educated man. They were highly educated. I've said this before, but the goal of every Jewish mother with a Jewish boy was for their son to become somewhere in the religious leadership of Israel. Whether it be a Pharisee, a rabbi, a scribe, that was kind of the thing they hoped for. And then they had to go through schooling. And at some point, if they weren't the best of the best, they just couldn't move on. This guy was the best of the best. This guy got to continue to move on. So a scribe was a highly educated man. Also a scribe was an authority on the Jewish law. They knew the Jewish law better than anybody else. In fact, Pharisees oftentimes, Josephus would tell us, that Pharisees would have to confer with the scribes about the interpretations of law. Because the Pharisees were the leaders of the church. They're the ones that did the sacrifice and did most of the teaching. But they, when they had any questions, they would go to the scribes because they were authority on the Jewish law. Also, that means that they were loyal 100% loyal to religious traditions of the Jewish culture. They were loyal to that. Now, because they had all this knowledge, and because they were so familiar with the law and authority on it, they also were allowed to teach. In fact, they could teach in synagogues. Now, they couldn't perform sacrifices like the Pharisees, but they could teach in the synagogues. So when we talk about a scribe, think about it this way. We've gone from talking about lepers to a Roman centurion to a woman. No offense, ladies, but they were all three viewed as non-significant in culture. Now we've got a scribe that's come into the picture. This was somebody, highly educated, totally wise, knew the law backwards and forwards. This guy was somebody. But notice this, that when we read that, let's, let's go back to verse 19. It says this, and, and it says this, and he he gave orders to go to their side, and the scribe came up to Jesus, and he said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So this scribe, who's a Jewish guy, very educated, he comes to Jesus. Now pause there for a minute. Typically, when people of the Jewish religion, or leaders in the Jewish circles, came to Jesus, they didn't come bearing gifts. They didn't come with a lot of compliments. They came trying to back him into a corner, right? They came kind of chastising him. They came trying to get Jesus to trip up. This guy comes with a different agenda. He comes as this guy who knows the law, who's committed to the Jewish way, something about him put him on a path to intervene with Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, I want you to notice what he calls him. What does he say? Teacher. Teacher. The Greek word is didasko, and it literally means someone who has the authority to proclaim. Now, it's interesting for a scribe to call Jesus teacher was actually an extreme compliment. It was a big compliment. In essence, here's what the scribe is saying. He's like, I've heard your teaching. Obviously, I like your teaching, and I want to give you the name Didasco. I want to call you teacher because it means I view you as an equal in the ability to teach the law. Now, for a scribe, that's an unbelievable compliment. They didn't give many people that compliment. So for him to call Jesus teacher, he's saying, I view you as an equal when it comes to your ability to teach the law. You teach the law and you teach God's truth as good as I do. Now, we chuckle at that 
because we're like, bro, he's way more than equal, right? I mean, he's God and you're not. But, but that's a compliment. Now, then notice this. What's the one thing he didn't address Jesus as? What did the other people call him that he didn't? Somebody said it. Well, Lord. See, when the leper came, he started with Lord. When the Roman centurion came, he started with Lord. They were acknowledging that you are God. So this guy's missing something here, right? Now notice what he does. He comes to Jesus and he says this, teacher, equal, somebody I value. I will follow you wherever you go. Now, what do you think the word wherever means? Come on, what do you think it means? You're so smart. It means wherever, right? You're like, that's a trick question. No, it's, I mean, wherever, wherever you tell me to go, I'm going. I want to follow you with everything. Now listen, here's what he's saying. I'm willing to walk away from my Jewish heritage. I'm willing to walk away from my education. I'm willing to walk away from being someone that people consult as an authority on the Jewish law. I'm willing to walk away from that. Just wherever you go, I'm going to follow you because I buy into what you're doing. Now think about that for a moment. Is that maybe one of the greatest compliments Jesus ever got? I think it is. Because other guys came along and called him the devil, right? Called him Beelzebub. So I'm going to go with this. This is a great compliment. But I want you to notice something that's going to flesh out here in just a moment. I want you to notice this, that profession doesn't always equal real commitment. Now, you might want to write that one down. Maybe that should be a bumper sticker. I just thought of it. Okay, profession doesn't equal commitment. Here's what I mean. He professes to say, wherever you go, I'm going. But proof is going to be in the pudding. Is there going to be an action that says, I'm going to do what I promised I would do? And I think the same thing we have to think about. Okay, we say we love the Lord. We say we want to follow the Lord. But as our actions match our proclamations. See, just because you profess it doesn't mean you're really committed to it. Are you with me on that? So he comes to Jesus, he approaches him, and he calls him teacher, and he pledges his unbelievable loyalty to the Lord. And then look at Jesus' response, verse 20. He says this, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, if you're a crowd person of that day, you're thinking, what is he thinking? I mean, he, this guy said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, and Jesus is talking about foxes? And Jesus starts talking about birds? I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, why don't you address the issue? He just said, I mean, this, listen, Jesus, this is not the leper. This isn't the Roman guy. This isn't the woman. This is a guy who is somebody. If there's anybody that can help advance your movement, it is this guy. He's educated. He has clout. He's got pull. He knows people. And you're talking about foxes? You're talking about birds? Now, what was the point of what Jesus was doing here? Was he trying to divert the conversation? Absolutely not. Remember something that we often forget. Jesus knew the man's heart, did he not? Did he not? Yes? We forget that he's God, right? Jesus knew what was on his heart. Jesus knew what was racing through this guy's head. And so Jesus responds with foxes and birds. Now, he's not questioning the man's sincerity, but he wants him to know what it really means to follow him. He's not questioning the man's sincerity. In fact, this guy was probably very sincere, but he wanted the guy to know, if you're going to follow me, here's what it means. And here's what Jesus is saying. With all my authority and with all of my power, self-indulgence is not part of my plan. Meaning, 
with all the authority I have and with all the power I have, at any moment I could snap my fingers and have all the comforts that the world has to offer, but that's not part of my plan. See, foxes have holes, meaning they have a home. Birds have nests, meaning they have a place they can go and come and go from and find rest. The son of man, I've got none of those things. I don't have a home. I don't have a place I lay my head at night and rest. And if you're going to follow me, listen, and if you're going to follow me, that's going to be your story too. Are you okay with that following Jesus means change may happen in your life? Are you okay with following Jesus means you are more than likely, 100% probably, going to be inconvenienced in your life? Are you okay with the fact that if you follow Jesus, that comfort is probably not going to be a word that you pursue very often? See, following Jesus is uncomfortable, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about followers here. People that really follow Jesus. Is it, it's uncomfortable at times. Because some of us will do this. We know somebody in our workplace, maybe they didn't know Christ, and we will give ourselves the out and go, you know, I love the Lord. Lord, would you provide a window of opportunity for me to share the gospel? And then God does. And then we just feel so uncomfortable, like, I just can't do it. I just, it's not the right moment. I just feel so awkward. So their salvation, hanging in the bounds, is less important than the awkwardness that's raging in our hearts. That's what we're saying. So what Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about foxes and, and, and birds. He's saying, listen, you say you want to follow me everywhere I go, and no matter where I go, okay, listen, here's, listen. Foxes have a home. Birds have a place to raise their head, rest their head. I have none of that. And if you're going to follow me, it's going to be inconvenient. And if you're going to follow me, it's going to be uncomfortable. And if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a lot of change that happens in your life. That's what it means to follow me. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus talk about foxes and birds and all that kind of stuff? Because he wanted them to know this. He wasn't rejecting the man. He just wanted the man to deeply consider the genuineness of his commitment. Jesus said, like, listen, animals experience more comfort than I'm going to experience. Animals have more luxuries than I take. And if you're going to follow me, that's what's going to be required of you. And so if you say that you're going to follow me wherever I go, great. Man, I want you to come. But I want you to examine the genuineness of your commitment. I want you to count the cost to follow me. See, following me is all about self-denial. Following me is going to require sacrifice. Following me oftentimes will require suffering. Are you on board with that? I just want you to have your eyes wide open and to clearly know that if you follow me, this is what's required. Here's what we know. We hear nothing else about this guy. Right? See, when I read the story, I'm thinking, man, this is a guy who I'd want on my team, this scribe. He's extremely intelligent. He's complimented Jesus. He's like, man, wherever you, I mean, that's the kind of commitment you would want, wouldn't you, if you were Jesus? Sure you would. But then Jesus pauses. He doesn't rebuke the man. He doesn't reject the man. He just wants the man to go, listen, I hear your heart, but I kind of also know your heart. And I'm just saying, if you're going to follow me, this is what that looks like. Comfort is not going to be part of following me. Are you in? And apparently this guy had no desire to really count the cost 
and follow Jesus. This guy obviously valued comfort more than he valued Jesus. This guy walks away without a word, exposing his unwilling and his weak heart, and also exposing his true loyalty. And his true loyalty was he wanted comfort more than he wanted Jesus. So would you say he was a fan or a follower? Fan, right? But then the story gets a little more interesting. Look at me in verse 21. So this guy walks away. Verse 21, and another of his disciples. Now, that word disciples means someone who's already identified with Jesus. There's someone, whether it was back at the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the healing of the leopard, somewhere in the middle of that, someone has come along and says, I belong to you. I'm going to follow you. I want to be not just a, a follower. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. That's a, that's a pretty powerful word. And so it says this, and another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my dead father. And then Jesus said to him, follow me and leave, leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this guy, this disciple, he approaches Jesus just like the scribes. And yet he asks for a unique request. He makes a very unique request. He says, listen, Jesus, I hear you. But let me go bury my dead father. Now, that, let's put that in context. That is a Near Eastern uh, um, kind of a, uh, exaggeration or Near Eastern um, kind of a speech that they used. It was kind of a, the way they said things. It was like slang. And so the point is being this Near Eastern metaphor, this figure of speech, doesn't mean his dad is dead. That's not what it means. It means that his dad is the point where he probably at some point is going to pass away, and I, I need to be here for him when that happens. And when he passes away, then I will collect my inheritance, and then I will follow you, Jesus. So basically what he's saying is, listen, Jesus, I am on your team. I am going to follow you, but just not right now, but later. See, right now, I got a dad that's going to die eventually. And when I collect the inheritance, then I'm on board. I'll follow you wherever. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I mean, I love you. Woohoo! I'm with you, but just not right now. Later, but not now. He was scared to death to miss out on the inheritance. And now listen, what, what did Jesus say to him? He said this. He said, Let's go to the next verse, verse 22. He said this, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, some of you would look at that and go, Jesus was being totally insensitive. But now you understand that this Near Eastern uh, figure of speech is, doesn't mean he had died, but he's waiting for him to die. Now, Jesus is not very, being very insensitive at all. Here's what Jesus is saying. Let worldly people and worldly things take care of worldly issues. Yeah, I know your dad's going to die one day. We're all going to die one day, Right? There's people that can handle that. But following me, follow me, which in, in the original language is an immediate action. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, I want you to let the world take care of the worldly issues. Yeah, we're all going to die. Let people take care of that. But right now, here's what I want from you. Right now, follow me. It's not about down the road. It's about right now. Are you in? Now, guess what? When I read in my Bible, you know what I have here about this guy? You know what I see about this guy next? You know what I see about him next? Nothing. Nothing. Another sad story. A guy who was a disciple. And you know what his barrier was? His barrier was not comfort. His barrier was riches. His barrier was riches. He could not wait for his dad when he passed away to collect an inheritance. He was scared to death. He was going to miss out on that, and he disappeared without a word. Now, just a quick question. 
Would that be sad if you were in the crowd that day and you saw, listen, listen, listen you're in the crowd, all right? Can you just kind of go back with me, time travel like 2,000 years ago? And you're in the crowd. And Jesus touched the leper. And you, you know, I said it last week, when you saw Jesus reach out to touch him, there had to be that slow motion, no, don't do it kind of moment. But he does, wow. And then Jesus speaks a word and somebody's healed like forever and a day away? Oh my gosh. And then he walk in the house and Jesus touches the mother-in-law and her fever is gone. And then they see him cast out demons. I mean, they're pumped up. And then, then you've got these two guys that come to him. And one's a scribe. I mean, this is somebody. And another one is a disciple. Somebody who's like, man, I'm on board. And you've got these two guys come to you. Can you imagine me in the crowd? And you see these two guys. And one is obsessed with comfort. And one is obsessed with money. And here's the bottom line for both. Both of them wanted to come to Jesus on their own terms. Did you hear me say that? Both of them wanted to come to Jesus on their own terms. And if you're the crowd, is that a sad moment for you? I would be. Why, you had so much potential. You could have done so much for the kingdom. And you won't let go of comfort? Really? You won't let go of your inheritance? Because did you just see what he did? And you won't let go of that? Really? So the crowd saw a guy obsessed with money, a guy obsessed with comfort, and two guys that felt like they could follow Jesus on their own terms. But here's what the crowd also saw. They also saw Jesus set the record straight. You ready? Listen to me. Here's the record. We follow Jesus on his terms, not our terms. Are you with me on that? We follow him on his terms, not our terms. So when we say we commit to Jesus, it is a total commitment. And anything less than a total commitment is no commitment at all. When we say we follow Jesus, it costs us everything. See, there's no riding the fence as a follower of Jesus. You've got a scribe who's a fan, not a follower. You've got a disciple who's a fan and not a follower. And my question is, which one are you? Which one are we? See, because I know the wickedness of Doug's heart. I know that there's sometimes I want to be so living in the world and enjoying the things of the world, and yet I want to follow Jesus, and I find myself battling day in and day out. Well, shame on me. I put myself in my own silly predicament. If I'm going to follow him, i got to be all in. It's not about riding the fence. In fact, 1 John says this, do not love the world or anything of the world, because if you have the love of the world in you, the love of the Father is not in you. In other words, we can only love one thing, the world or God. See, these two guys were fans of Jesus. They were not followers. And I'm convinced, as sure as I'm standing here this morning, there's maybe some of you here today, and you're trying to ride the fence. And it won't work. If you're not totally committed to him, it's not commitment at all. And if you are committed to him, you need to be ready that it could cost you Everything. Now, I know we live in the 21st century America, and when I say that, there's many of you going, yeah, but he's not really going to ask me to do this. He's not really going to ask me to quit the job that pays really good and go to a job because that's a mission field, that's where he wants to. God would really never ask me to do that. Really? He told Abram, take your stuff and go, and I'll let you know when you get where I want you. What makes us think he won't do that for us? Right? I mean, would he, would he not do the same thing for us? Sure he would. 
I mean, we look at life and sometimes we're like, you know, I, I, I like the rhythm. I mean, how many, how many of you in the room today like rhythm in your life? You like, you like schedules, routines, and rhythm. Anybody like me in the room? I do. I hate when rhythm's disrupted. And you know what God always does for me? He likes to disrupt my rhythm. And I hate it. You know why? Because he's always reminding me that if you're going to follow me, Doug, it could cost you everything. It could cost you something in a moment. Or are you in? Am I in? Am I a fan? Or my follower. Now, as we close today, here's what I want to say. I want you to think about the question: Are you a fan or a follower? And a couple night, or several nights ago, or whenever, maybe a week or two ago, I have a tendency when I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes to turn the TV on because I just can't go back to sleep. Anybody else kind of like that with me? And I don't know about you, but when I turn the TV on ESPN late night, there's some crazy stuff on ESPN. Like there's like ultimate frisbee college finals on ESPN at 3 in the morning. I don't know if you knew that or not. Then they even had, Sonia, I watched one night uh, a while back, Cornhole National Champion. Jim, you got to get in that one, man. I mean, Cornhole, right? I mean, we're watching like, and they just never missed, I mean, it's amazing. But one, one night late, I remember turning TV on, and it was the World Series of Poker. And it was these two guys at the table. And I, I, I think it's funny to watch these guys because they got glasses on. I'm like, you know, whatever. And so they got their glasses and their hats on. They got that little scowl on their face. And they're both playing with their cards. And, and they got these mounds of chips. And this one guy just at that one point, you know what happens. At that one point, he just grabs the chips. And what does he say? All in. And he just shoves them all on the table. See, I'd be the guy that would start to shove. And go, no, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a lot of money I just shoved on the table. But there's a moment when they shove them and let them go. it's gone. And I have to trust what's next for me. And so they pace, right? They pace and they they go and they high five and they talk and they hug and they weep and they, they pace. But there's a moment where they say, I'm all in. And I'm just wondering, has there been a moment in your Christian life where you go, I'm all in. I know I say I love you, Lord, but my life doesn't reflect that. And today, I'm all in. Today, I'm pushing all the chips to the middle, and I'm saying, I am all in this thing. I don't want to be a fan anymore. I want to be a devout follower of you. I don't want to just talk the talk. I want my actions to speak louder than my words. I am all in. And maybe for some of you today, you're like the scribe, or you're like the other person, the disciple. And you think you're a follower, but what you've discovered is you're really a fan. And here's my question for you. What barrier are holding you back from following him? What barriers are keeping you from being all in? Is it riches? You're scared to death because about, about a month and a half ago we talked about money. And you're scared to death that if you get all in, that somehow God's going to get deeper into your pocketbook. And that just kind of freaks you out. Are you scared to death that if you go all in, that God's going to require you to change some friendships in your life because you know some friendships that are toxic? And you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says that bad company corrupts good character, and you know that you're going to have to change some friends, and if I'm all in, I don't want to do that. Are you scared to death that if you go all in, that God's going to require you to change some behavior in your lives? You're going to have to change some things? Now we can't go out and get hammered with the boys because now i got to change something because my life is different. I'm all in. What is the barrier keeping you from that? And then here's my prayer, that you would drop the barrier today, that you would say with everything in you, metaphorically, I'm pushing all the chips in. You pushed them all in for me. 
when you went to the cross. I'm all in. Wherever you send me, I'm going. See, can I just say this to you? When we say we're all in and we mean it, it's amazing how excuses go away. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing when we say we're all in and we really mean it from the depths of our being? The reasons why I can't and won't do things seem to disappear because I understand that I have a purpose with my life. It's to reflect Christ, to be salt and to be light. So here's my prayer. If you're here today and you've got some things keeping you from being all in, would you come to this altar and get on your knees and say, Lord, I turn this over to you. Maybe it's my struggle with friendships. Maybe it's my struggle with the finances. Maybe it's my struggle with comfort. I like my comfort. And Lord, I just want to hand it. And whatever you want me to do, Lord, I am all into it. I'm pushing it all in. Because I just don't want to be a fan of you. I really want to be a follower of you. I'm all in. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and you need to make that decision, this altar is going to be open for you. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, can I tell you what all in means for you? All in for you is trusting Jesus with your life. Saying, I surrender my life to you. And we would love to talk to you more about that. So here's what I'm asking you. I'm going to ask everybody with every head bowed and every eye closed, just to stand with me if you would. Everybody just stand up if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want to challenge you for a moment. I just want you to think about two things. Number one, if you don't know Christ, am I willing to go all in? Am I willing to surrender my life to the Lord today? And if you are, Don and Terry are going to be on one side and Randy is going to be on the other side. And Tim and Carmen, if you guys will be in the back of the room and I'll be in the front, we would love to talk to you about what it means to know Christ as your Savior. But if you are a follower of Christ today and you know there's some barriers keeping you from being all in, would you just let them go? Would you just cast them on him and say, Lord, it's my friendships. Lord, it's the finances. Lord, it's you fill in the blank. If you've got some things that are keeping you from being all in today, would you lay them at the altar this morning? God, I love you. I thank you for the power of your words. God, I don't want to be like the scribe. I don't want to have all the education the world offers, have all the wisdom the world offers, but yet find myself choosing to be your fan, not your follower, because I don't want to part with a barrier in my life. God, I don't want to be that person who says they're a disciple of you and yet makes conditions on following you. God, I pray today for this people in this room today that are followers that we would remind ourselves that we do not follow you on our terms. We follow you on your terms. And I just pray today, Lord, that this altar will be filled full of people who say, I want to be all in. I want to push the chips in. I don't want things holding me back anymore. And God, may you work in our hearts today. May this altar be filled with people who's saying, I'm laying my barrier down and I'm throwing my chips in. I am all in today. And then God, I pray for those who don't know you today, they would recognize that your son loved us enough. He died for us on a cross and he rose again. And if we would just put our faith in him, surrender our lives and be all in, that he'll give us eternal life. So Lord would, you, Lord, would you just take over this place? Would you just have your way with us? Would your Holy Spirit move and hover 
and pierce our hearts only as he can. And may we be faithful to respond to you. Lord, I love you. And I pray that we leave here today wanting to shout from the rooftops that we are all in. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you feel led, I'm going to ask those to come forward and in the back, if you just make your way, if you, if you need somebody to pray with you about knowing Christ, then they love that. I would love to pray with you. Or if you're today saying, you know what, there's some things holding me back, but I want to lay them down and be all in. This altar is open for you. You move as Patrick leads us.